0: You know, Ren, I was thinking about this the other day. There's not a lot of stuff that is actually like for certain in our lives. There's never like a 100%. In our statistics classes, we're taught that there's never truly a 100% and there's never truly a 0% either. And I guess we could see this in our lives. Like we don't know if we're going to meet a celebrity walking down the street that day, if we're going to decide to eat something else, or there's just not a lot of stuff that is decided for sure. But I think the one thing that is 100% is the concept that we are going to die. We are going to pass away. What do you think about
1: that? I'd agree with you there. The inevitability of death weighs upon us every day. Um, The idea that anything that is alive will eventually not be is, I mean, that's entropy. That's that's Mm -hmm. the one given we have. Honestly, it's kind of comforting to know that that's the one thing we can be sure of in this world, but.
0: And some people are scared of that. Some people are accepting of that. Some people are struggling to understand. It's just a phenomenon or a concept that I think is very interesting because very, because many different people have many different reactions to it. So, so it is historically rooted, you know, many different societies had many different concepts of death or like what would happen to a dead person after they ended their life on this earth. There's a lot of, different ways in which they approached it, in which they had funerals, in which they explained why death happened and what happened to you after you ended your life on this world. And the ancient Egyptians, I think, are a really good, I think, more popular way of kind of exhibiting the concept of death and how their culture viewed it. So ancient Egypt, if you didn't know, mummies pyramids Mm -hmm. a huge culture that we can now see from ruins and remains as being very life and death centric they had a lot of their mythology rooted in life and death concepts so there was this god osiris He is now considered the lord of the underworld and the judge of the dead. He is the firstborn of the gods Geb and Newt. Shortly after the creation of the world, he was murdered by his younger brother, Set, and brought back to life by his sister wife, Isis. And this myth and the gods involved became really central to Egyptian culture and their religious life. But before he was the lord of the underworld and the judge of the dead, before his brother killed him, he was the god of fertility. And I thought that was really interesting because you're connecting life, which fertility plays a huge role in, and death, the underworld and the death. So he is frequently shown as a mummy or in a partially mummified form. And he's also associated with the mythical Benu bird, which is the inspiration for the Greek Phoenix who rises to life from the ashes. Now we're gonna connect that to something in later in this episode. So just keep listening. Essentially, I just thought that that was really interesting because that concept of death again, is seen everywhere. The concept of reincarnation so coming back to life is also in a lot of different cultures and religions and the Egyptians viewed death as not really how the western world would view it so they believed that your death on this earth was not the end of your life your life still continued afterwards and they would mummify bodies to keep them preserved for that second part of your life and they would take everything out so they would take the brain out they'd take your organs out and they'd only leave your heart in because that's what they believed was the most important organ for you your heart your emotions so I thought that was really interesting about ancient Egypt and
1: how they approached death yeah, definitely. It's very much like passing from this world to the next through a door, uh, it sounds like, is kind of what mm-hmm. you're saying, like the ancient Egyptians were very much about, it doesn't end here, and you need to be prepared for the journey. I mean, one example I know of just off the top of my head is that they would also store mummies with food and drink and and things to take with their their own belongings to right. take with these to, the, mm-hmm. to the next world. So that's cool as well. Um, However, the Egyptian belief that you simply pass as you are to this world to the next isn't the only common ancient belief. Uh, Another very common branch of belief is what the ancient Greeks and Romans and Norse believed in, which was essentially that death is when your soul departs from your body, they become separated, and the soul gets to go on while the body does not. And that's also a pretty common definition today, but let's kind of talk about Uh, the Greeks and Romans, and where all of this came from. So the Greeks and Romans have their own god of death, like Osiris, um, or god of death, but that's just a generic term. That was Hades and Thanatos, and Hades and Thanatos uh, rule separate parts of Greek mythology. Hades is more like the lord of the underworld, and Thanatos is the god of death himself. So in mythology, the Greek underworld is called an other world, where souls go after death. In the Greek lens, at the moment of death, the soul is separated from the corpse and takes on the shape of the former person. Then the soul is transported to the entrance of the underworld by Charon, which is a myth many are familiar with. Uh, That underworld is also called Hades, so the god Hades. The soul undergoes a journey with four distinct steps. So first, the god of death would reach down and touch you as you died. Then you would be led to the river Styx by Hermes. Charon the ferryman, then transports you across the river. You would then pass Cerberus, the gatekeeper of the underworld. Souls would then go to a place called the Asphodel Fields, where people forget all memories of their former life. And at a fork in the road, three judges would then decide where to send these souls, good people, who were heroes and led very wonderful lives, would go to Elysium. And those who needed to be punished would go to Tartarus. And the people who were ambivalent and kind of in between being a hero and being a really, really bad person would go to these foddle fields where they would live the rest of their afterlife in a deluge. So some people in Tartarus that you may be familiar with were the popular Greek and Roman names, Sisyphus, Tantalus, and Atlas all of which were convicted of horrible, horrible things in the eyes of the Greek gods. We could get into that, but that would take a while. So that's kind of the Greek and Roman side of the afterlife and how they viewed uh, passing on. However, the Norse also shared some similar beliefs about heaven and hell and the way that your soul goes when you you die. Uh, They actually had five locations for the afterlife and believed that the soul was made up of four parts And that those four parts could be separated after death so you don't just have one soul you have four in norse mythology and that's pretty nifty but not only that there were also five ultimate fates that you could find yourself falling in and two of the popular ones are valhalla which is like heaven essentially and hell with one l uh or i believe hell in some in some dialects and that was more like the place of punishment kind of like tartarus in 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 Greek and Roman mythology, um, Norse Norse myth is a little more complicated than Greek and Roman, but the general gist of all three of these ancient philosophies is that once the soul passes, it gets to go to a different place, and there is a form of judgment that is passed on the soul that determines where it ends up. So that is some interesting interesting stuff to think about. And I.
0: Th- found that really interesting that you said that there is a form of judgment. I didn't mention this when I was talking about ancient Egypt, but even in ancient Egypt mythology, after one died, their heart would be judged. Essentially, ancient Egyptians had the feather of truth called the ma'at, and your heart would be weighed against that feather to see if you were a person who was good during your life or who was bad during your life so I just find that really interesting because that concept of judgment directly after you die to decide where you go in your afterlife is present across um, these cultures so it's present in ancient Egyptian mythology it's present in Greek and Norse mythology and in many other religions as well like we'll discover later on in this episode But yeah, the concept of death and judgment, yeah, sure, we're talking about that. But that is right after you die. That is something that people believe people will go through once they die. But there's also the whole culture around death that happens, I guess, like on the earth between people who knew person who passed away so the concept of mourning death versus celebrating life different cultures actually approach this differently many people I think many cultures I think it's very um, I wouldn't say normal but it's more common for people to mourn a person Mm -hmm. rather than celebrate their life so obviously these people are either mourning your loved one or they're celebrating your loved one's life and I think that the celebrating your loved one's life is actually really interesting because traditionally there's a lot of cultures that don't do that so in Louisiana there is a parade with music that follows the casket to the burial site And the music is usually jazz and it starts off on a somber tone, but then gradually builds up to a joyful end as the procession says their last goodbyes. And that process is known as cutting the body loose. And after the cutting of the body, so cutting it loose, the procession usually starts to dance with swirling parasols and handkerchiefs. And that's known as a second lining. And then in Mexico, the Dia de los Muertos, a.k.a. All Souls Days, All Souls Day celebrates the life of the dead. So it's usually your family members. So families usually go to cemeteries and pray, calling for the dead to be present with them at the time. And then they pray for safe journey to and from the spiritual afterlife. And it could be a sad or happy occasion. But I guess from what I have seen, or I don't know about you, Ren, but from what I have seen, it's a very colorful,
1: very lively festival. Oh, absolutely. It looks like a genuine blast. And I don't know if you've ever smelled pan de muerto, but I want nothing more than to than to go to Mexico and be a part of this celebration, simply because it's, it's so pretty and, and lively. And it just seems like a lovely way to pass on and to celebrate the people that were a part of your life once. And
0: it's such so different from the different culture, like the culture that I guess we've grown up in where mourning where it's more of a mourning and more like repressed. I, I, I don't know if, if you want to talk about
1: that. Oh, definitely, yeah, I, I really, I respect the the death positive perspective because it's just a lot more chipper. I don't know if you've ever been to like a really sad funeral, but here in the Canada, in the Canada, <laughs> but here in the US and in Canada, the you know, North America, Death is usually a very somber affair and the funeral is just a very sad place to be and family members gather together to mourn the dead. Uh, You've got people wearing black, you've got three parts of the funeral. So first off we've got the visitation which is essentially it can be open casket or it can be closed casket, depends on what the family wants but you go and you visit the family and, and the dead and you look upon them. And then you have the actual funeral service itself in which the memorial service is often officiated by a member of the clergy from the deceased's family's religion. And during the funeral, we can also choose if the, if the casket will be open or closed and it'll be the final time you get to see that, uh, that person, that person's body. And the third part of the traditional funeral in North America is burial service, the part where the body of the dead is buried. Now, when this happens, we usually see a funeral procession following the body of the dead from the memorial funeral service to the burial site itself. We've got pallbearers to bear the casket. Usually, these are males who are close relatives of the deceased. And they carry the casket from the chapel to the burial site, um, which honestly seems like it's a really heavy type type of job to have. So respect to anyone who's had to be a pallbearer, I'm sure that was rough. Also, one thing to note uh, in traditional North American funerals is that black is really the, the common color worn at these funerals, you know. Uh, wearing wearing black to a wedding is taboo because wearing black to a funeral is what is expected of you and that is supposed to be kind of a harbinger of 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 death and and mourning and a symbol for that. Now, black can also be worn by widows for a long period of time after a hus- their husband's death. Um, And sometimes this lasts for years for the widow's life. Traditionally, there's a a lot of religions and traditions and practices that use the the symbolic wearing of black to symbolize mourning. And so that's definitely interesting, uh, a part of the Western world. Yeah, so I find that really interesting because it's the color
0: for death and what you're going to wear at a funeral is black in the Western world, but it's actually white in Asia, and it signifies purity and rebirth. So Buddhist faiths believe in reincarnation. So loved ones wear white in hopes of their loved one being born once again. And in Hindu culture, white represents purity, but also the loss of colors slash happiness at the death of a loved one. So if you're wearing white at a Hindu funeral, what you're essentially saying is that there's no color, there's no happiness. You're equating colors with happiness and black is obviously a color, white is the void of colors. There's actually white mourning in France and that was common during the 16th century. And white was worn by unmarried women and children Two funerals, and this was used by French queens as well. And then in South Africa, red, red was not a common morning color across the world, and it's not still, but it can be worn in South Africa where it represents the bloodshed during apartheid. In Guatemala, purple is worn during Easter for the procession of the Holy Cross on Good Friday. So men and boys wear purple robes and hoods to represent Christ's suffering. And Catholics in Brazil can wear either purple or black to funerals. And it can be seen as disrespectful if you do not wear purple because purple is seen as sacred and devotional. And in Thailand, purple is associated with death and widows wear purple during mourning. However, everyone else is required to wear black at Thai funerals.
1: That's interesting, almost like it's a distinction of who you were to the deceased to wear a different color. Um, Another color I'd like to throw into the mix is gold. The ancient Egyptians would wear gold because it signified everlasting life and the god Ra, the sun god, whose skin was formed from precious metal. So gold was also for royal mourning because it is seen as indestructible, and they believed that, you know, kings, pharaohs never die, they would live on, and that's pretty interesting. Uh, Another one is gray, the color gray, which is worn in Papua New Guinea, and this was worn by widows uh, who apply a gray clay to their skin after their husband's death, sort of like a death facial, I suppose. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, An interesting tradition for sure. I
0: also also think that, you know, gray is kind of like a a whiter black, right? Yeah. So gray is also, I would consider slightly devoid of color. Mm -hmm. I would see how the residents of Papua New Guinea would apply a gray clay to their face. I guess it's just depicting or imitating the devoid of life. The power
1: in... of death. Yeah. That's really
0: interesting. Yeah. So yeah. we we have all of these different colors to wear to funerals. We have uh all that history behind religions and cultures view death and the afterlife. But there's also an equally diverse range of the different methods of disposing of these bodies. So The traditional, I feel, would be burial and cremation. But new customs have been coming into play recently. As in, you cremate your loved one and then you can press their ashes into diamonds. Wow. But I think it's really awesome that you could keep your loved ones as diamonds and you could just grow that collection. I think that that's super cool. But personally... I would want to do something like growing a tree out of my corpse because that exists too. Or donating my body to science and medicine because I would still be helping with people's education. And um, I would, you know, donate
1: my organs. That's something I want to do. Oh, yeah, definitely. And and a noble cause it is. You know, every, everyone should be an organ donor. And you can quote me on that. Um, I well, Unless, of course, you have religious reasons, not to cultural reasons not to understandable but organ donation is a, a wonderful thing and I will advocate for that all day long. Another really interesting and probably much more ancient than these newer techniques, uh, you know growing growing trees out of out of bodies that all of that stuff is coming out rather recently. but there is this really old tradition that doesn't get talked about a lot because it's a little, little questionable but you know tradition it's a tradition it's a it's a prized cultural practice and it should not be shamed so that said there's a practice called endocannibalism of ashes in which uh several cultures will cremate their dead and then use the ashes in in a food product and consume the dead as as a way to honor them And that's not a super popular thing, but it is something I just wanted to throw in there because it's a pretty interesting uh, approach.
0: Yeah, so, and there were also other cultures that just straight up ate their dead. And Mm -hmm. that obviously is a health issue we know now because prions, Prions we don't want those misfolded proteins wreaking havoc in our bodies. So don't eat, don't eat brains guys
1: not 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 the best move Uh, you can make so
0: the concepts of death between different cultures are pretty similar from whatever happens before you die to how your body is disposed of when you die to the concept of the afterlife they're quite similar so i think one interesting comparison i actually learned about in my freshman year when i took introduction to ancient egypt is the comparison between ancient Egyptians and Christianity. So there's an icon in both ancient Egypt and in Christianity that both get resurrected. So in ancient Egypt, that would be Osiris. And in Christianity, that would be Jesus. And they both have a concept of the afterlife and judgment. So if you were a good person, you would go to the better part of the afterlife. And if you were a not so great person, you would go to a place that was reserved for those souls. But those are some similarities that we saw and that I was, you know, learning in my class. Very fascinating. If you do go to UC Austin, I recommend taking Introduction to Ancient Egypt. It's a great class. Very fascinating. You it's learn how funny. to read hieroglyphics.
1: Oh, wow. That sounds like a blast. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely interesting just how many of these threads we've talked about, like interweave, how many of these cultures have similar takes, but like a little different, you know, mm-hmm. interpretations that are just ever so slightly different, but at their core, they're kind of saying the same same general thing. It's, it's interesting for sure. So
0: we've been talking about all of this cultural stuff and what colors people wear, the concepts, everything. But what is actually the scientific slash medical definition of death? So it's kind of complicated. When we were doing our research, we were a little confused as to what it would be. Because when you watch those like dramatic TV shows, it's usually, death is usually pronounced when the patient is brain dead. But at one point in time, death used to be the stopping of the heart, not necessarily brain death. So the medical definition of death or the scientific definition of death that we currently hold is one. One aspect of this definition is irreversible cessation of circulatory and respiratory functions. So your heart stops and your lungs stop. or Number two, irreversible cessation of all functions of the entire brain, including the brainstem. And now the brainstem controls all of your involuntary functions. So stuff like your heart beating or you breathing, those are involuntary things that we just do naturally. And when that ceases to function, that is death. So you can see how there's some confusing things in the definition of death, but right now that's what it is. Do you have anything to say about that, Ryan?
1: I don't think so. It is interesting, though, that we had to uh, like really break it down into. A subjective, like, all right, who's gonna call it? <laughs> who's who's gonna call it? I'm not sure. Is might be dead, maybe not. Technology has progressed to the point where we can we can maintain the life of someone who has gone brain dead, um, and but then still call them alive. It's it's just it's really interesting stuff. Um, the the the, com- the complexities of it, I suppose. It almost it makes me wonder: is there a difference between this scientific and medical way we define death and a person being considered dead. For example, if I right now faked my death and, and had, had it seem as though I was completely dead, but I, I am still alive, but legally, according to everyone I know and the law itself, I do know I'm not existing as a living person. They have classed my social security number as a dead <laughs> person (laughs) then does that mean that I am dead even though I'm still alive it's I guess
0: because obviously I'm saying this for like the fourth time but there's a lot of social and cultural aspects to death so death is socially rooted as well the definition of death is very socially rooted you could just you know drop off of the face of this earth go into hiding and nobody would know that you're gone and you are alive to yourself but nobody knows where you are or you know if you're alive do you become do you become dead to them is that like something that is what happens psychologically and sociologically
1: that's a good, a definitely a good question. And I suppose it it it's it's really just down to what they choose to believe. Do they choose to believe that you're dead or that you simply aren't there with them? An interesting question. You know, if the, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, then did the tree fall? If 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 no one's around to witness you being alive, then are you? And I think that's a really interesting perspective to. Look at death and to deal with mourning, it's
0: that the person is either dead or they're just not there with you.
1: Ah, that's a very beautiful sentiment.
0: And I think that that is something that is very interesting to think about.
1: Oh, absolutely. Really powerful stuff. And that said, I think we should close it out for today. That concludes our episode on the concepts of death around the world and how they came to be. So I hope you were able to learn something about a different culture and see how we actually aren't that different after all underneath. We're all just trying to quantify this strange concept that we know we can't escape. And that's a very powerful thing that we all humans, we all do together. So thank you for listening to The Unfinished Mind. Join us next time when we discuss some other fun, interesting and thought provoking things, because that's what me and Arya do for you guys. And we hope you like it. Exactly. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.